You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. So that awkward video that played was totally my fault. I take full responsibility and blame for that. Um, how's everybody doing? Good. Glad you guys are here. Uh, so I just want to first thank uh, Josiah and the team. So that's uh, a buddy of mine, Josiah. He serves on the, uh, the d- director team of Ride Nature. So Ride Nature is one of our partner, uh, mission partners. And uh, one of the great things is that they have their banquet coming up soon. And we've been giving out different handouts. And we really want to encourage you to come and partner with the ministry of Ride Nature. They are boots on the ground sharing the gospel to the unreached people group of people who like action sports. And so if you total up the amount of people around the entire globe that skate and surf and do all sorts of things uh, that are included in action sports, uh, it, it totals a huge number of people, and most of them have not had repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. And so we want to support them, and we want to continue. So Josiah, thanks for being here. Thank you to our team serving, and thank you. So let's give them a round of applause. So today we're talking about, uh, I'm getting a little feedback up here, sorry guys. Uh, Today we're talking about communication, and I know that uh, for all of us and all of our lives, communication plays a huge part of everything we do, and communication is difficult. Communication is not an easy thing, it's something that we have to work at. And so especially when it comes to like a marriage relationship, it's something that we have to be intentional with. So I wanna show you a quick video and this just shows us the difficulty in communication. So watch the, watch the screen. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail out. See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! 
Come on, if you would just don't. So. This happens both ways. This is not just a one way to another. Like, in relationships, whether it is in marriage or in dating or parents to kids, um, from in your workplace between uh, bosses and, and employees, whether it's between friends, maybe your neighbors, right? There, there is this communication aspect because we have to speak and we have to listen, and both of those play a part in communication. And often, we don't listen, and often when we speak, we're not actually communicating clearly, and we're not speaking clearly, and because of that, then it causes dissension and a breakdown in relationship. Well, just like human relationships, we have have been invited into a personal, intimate, interactive relationship with the God of gods, with the Lord of lords, with the King of kings, the God of the cosmos. And and because we've been invited into this relationship, there is a communication aspect of everything that we do with him. God listens, God speaks. And we must listen and we must speak. That's what a relationship with God looks like. There's an interaction with God that we have been invited into. You know, God gave us this written word here. This is one of the primary ways that God communicates with us. And often we don't even read it. We don't even go to it. We don't even look at it to hear his voice, to hear his words. I mean, just think about this Bible that we have. It's a compilation of 40 or so people that were from all different areas of the world. So it wasn't like they were collaborating with one another, but the Holy Spirit was pressing in stuff into their hearts and into their minds where they were writing this down. They had all these diverse backgrounds over the span of 1,500 years So it's not like they're all writing this in in one little stint, but over 1,500 years, there's over around 40 writers that are compiling this book here. This is part of one of the world's historical writings. And so in historical writings, there's there's some things that they do when they find these old um, scrolls is is that they, they compare them with one another so they can find an accuracy of the written word. And so uh, there's an author, Homer, who wrote the Iliad. That is probably one of the most well-known ancient texts that we have. He's writing about the Trojan War and Achilles, and he's talking about all of the things. And it's, it's a book, and, and that has, it's been found that there were n- around 1,900 manuscripts over the course of times that were found and compared to one another. The New Testament and the Old Testament also has manuscripts that have been found over the course of time. The New Testament has, give or take, 5,800 Greek manuscripts that have been found, 10,000 Latin manuscripts that have been found, 9,300 in other languages. The Old Testament 
17,000 manuscripts that have been found that compile our word. And you know what the accuracy is between all of those manuscripts? 99.5. 99.5. And even that 0.5% doesn't change any of the doctrine or the context of this book. This is God's word to man. God is always speaking, but are we listening? I mean, look at this, look at this picture right here. I mean, this just blows my mind. Because we think about 40 different authors that are writing over the span of 1,500 years. Um, they wouldn't, because they didn't have technology like we do, so they're not like scrolling on their phones and seeing what everybody's writing. They're writing separately from one another, not seeing each other's writings. This is an actual picture of the cross-references and things that have been repeated over the course of times between Genesis and Revelation. These are all of the connections that have been made throughout Scripture over the course of 1,500 years and 40 different authors, things that confirm what this book is saying with itself. 63,779 cross-references that have been found that prove that God has inspired this word. He speaks to us are we listening? So we're going to jump in because here's the context. We're jumping into 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are celebrating the people of Thessalonica who heard the word of God and it, they allowed the word of God to transform their hearts and their minds. So I want to read 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 16. So if you would join me in that, grab a Bible or on your phone. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 16. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Jesus Christ that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we lift up your word. You are speaking to us now. I pray that you would remove my words my thoughts from this, and that we would hear from you, Lord, that your spirit would stir in us affections for you, that we would know you more. As we look at the word that you have spoken, I pray that we would fall more in love with you. In your name that we pray, amen. So how does the word of God transform our lives, and why? Why does the word of God transform our lives? So here's the first thing that we see in verse 13. The word of God is God's word, not man's word. The word of God is God's word, not man's word. Look at verse 13 again. We thank God for you constantly in this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but of what it truly is, the word of God. We as humans, we embellish the truth. Agreed? I mean, just ask the guy that's in your aisle about his last fishing trip or his last golf outing. 
Go ahead. I mean, that's why fishermen hold the fish out like this towards the camera. Just so you know, it makes it look much bigger. It's perspective. But we are truth embellishers. That's just what we're prone to. We want to make ourselves look good in every story. And in some ways, by trying to do so, we tend to put other people down. And we embellish the truth. But the credibility of the speaker matters. The credibility of the speaker matters. So if you were uh, thinking about um, my wedding, I was there. And so if I'm sharing about my wedding to you and telling you about uh, the band or the decorations or the amazingly beautiful bride that was there, I'm speaking from a firsthand place. Now, Selah, who is 12, we've been married for 16 years, but Selah, who's 12, wasn't at our wedding. So she can share about our wedding. She's maybe seen a, a, a video or books, but but there's like a secondhand aspect to the communication about our wedding. So the credibility about the person who is speaking actually matters in what is being spoken about. And if you think about God, he is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere. That means he is sovereign. He knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. He sees the past the present, and the future. His word is more credible than our word. So when we're looking at the word of God, we have to understand this is God's word, not our word. He has a greater perspective on what we need. But our culture wants us to believe that our perspective is the only perspective that what we want and what we desire is what's best. And so we can make a decision to do whatever we want because that's what we want. And we must have the best ideas around. But when we look at the word of God, we realize that he is far greater in knowledge and wisdom and discernment than us because he has spanned the course of time and history and every place and everything, and he knows you better than you know yourself. So when he speaks, we should listen. The word of God is God's word, not man. And so the word of God then is proclaimed and it is heard. Verse 13. What is, what is Paul saying here? We spoke, you heard, you received, and it changed you. We spoke, you heard it, you received it, and it changed you. God invites all of humanity, all of humanity, to hear his good news. God has invited all of humanity to hear his good news. How do I know this? Well, there were some angels that showed up to talk to some shepherds many years ago. And what do they say? They were proclaiming good news, and they say, this is good news of great joy for just a few nice people. A few people that can keep, it, keep their act together, try harder, do better. That's what the angels proclaim, right? No, that doesn't sound like good news. It doesn't for me, because no, I know I'm not a good person. I'm a sinner who needs grace. So the angels, when they proclaim good news, they say it's good news of great joy for all the people. All of them. 
no matter what your income level is, no matter what your race is, no matter where you're from, what your history is, no matter what sins you've committed. I mean, we were, I was talking to a group of pastors yesterday about this because often we fail to remember that this book is filled with failures. All the humans that show up here did something wrong. And it is by grace that they have been saved through faith in Jesus. So not only is the word of God, God's word, but not man's word, but it is, it is proclaimed and it is heard. And God invites humanity, he invites us to proclaim his good news to the world. Romans 10, 14, and 15. How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's not just speaking about people who stand on a stage. That is speaking to every single believer. Every man, every woman, and every child that proclaims his good news. That's what we are called to. And Jesus says if we don't proclaim his good news, then the rocks are going to cry out. Because his good news is worth being shared. So Paul writes, we proclaimed, you heard, you received. So we have this responsibility, collectively, as his church, as his children, to share his word. But we have to hear it first. We can't share something we've never heard. We can't share something we don't believe. We share what we enjoy, and we enjoy what we experience. And so unless we are reading his word and we know who he is, then we're not going to share anything. What we end up sharing is things that we hear on the radio or maybe pictures that we see hung up on people's walls in the dentist's office. Instead of sharing the word of God, but we are called to share who he is and what he has done. God's word is proclaimed and it is heard. And here's the last thing we see in verse 13. The word of God is always at work. The word of God is always at work. Look what it says at the end of verse 13. The word of God which is at work in you believers. This is a present statement because it had been seen that it is at work in their lives and in their community. It's been transforming their community, but it is currently at work and it is still working and it will continue to work in our hearts and minds and lives because God's word is constantly creating and it's moving and it's shaping and it's transforming. I love what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter four, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of the joints and of marrow, and the discerning of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God's word is always working. And, and look at me for a second. Listen to this. There is not one problem that you have in your life where God's word does not apply. There is not one problem that you have in your life where God's word does not apply. Students, problems at school, when, when you're dealing with the things that go on, being a part of middle schools and high schools, it's not easy. Any of those problems, God's word applies. In your marriage, with your family members, with your relationships, with your neighbors, with your kids, God's word applies. But the problem is, is that we don't want to listen. 
We don't want to listen to his word. We want to justify ourselves and use our own logic to make a solution, and we need to stop it. It's ridiculous that we think that we can muster up enough knowledge and, and understanding in our own minds to figure out a solution to all of our problems when God's word is that. His word is truth and he gives us the solution to every problem we will ever face in our entire lives. Why am I so adamant about this? Why am I so passionate about this? Because I know that I am the source of my problems. Like, I know that my logic, my mistakes, my controlling, my timing is the source of why I have problems. And I need to trust God and his word more, but I don't. And I'm guessing if that's my problem, some of you may relate to that too. No, it's just me. All right, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. Y'all just staring at me. Not me. Not me, Pastor. then why do we try to figure it out on our own? Pride? Maybe it's just that we don't know it enough. Maybe we just haven't read it enough. Maybe the busyness of life has overcome our pursuit of the truth. Watching TV doesn't. Our hobbies don't. But I often believe that we pursue that more than God's word. We have little buckets of time, but we fill it with endless scrolling and mindless matter. And we don't come to the word of God to hear him because it is always at work. And then here's the last thing we see through verse 14 through 16. That the word of God will be persecuted. Look at verse 14. It says, For you brothers became imitators of the churches of Jesus Christ in Judea. You suffered the same things for your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus, they were the ones who crucified Jesus, and the prophets, those that came proclaiming that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all of mankind. Listen, believers, our world, the enemy, will always try to persecute and destroy the word of God because it will always wage war against our sinful nature. Always. Our sinful nature always will wage war against God's word because we want what we desire and when God tells us what we desire is sin, then what we do is we push God's word away, not the sin away. Do I need to say that again? I think often we take our desires, the things that we maybe can find some kind of temporary satisfaction in, and then when God's word tells us that it's sin, we push God's word away, not our sin. The Bible uses language about sin. Here's some of the language the Bible says. It says, run from, flee from, and then it also goes on to say that sin is so 
deadly and destructive that if your hand is causing you to sin, you should cut it off. And if your eyes are causing you to sin, you should gouge them out. Because it's better for you to live without a hand or live blind than it is to spend eternity in hell. But what we do is we tend to make a nice little bed for our sin. We don't want it to constantly be in our pocket, so we just kind of put it in this little bed and we kind of sit it by our bedside and just leave it there for a rainy day. Instead of cutting it off, instead of killing it, instead of running from it, instead of fleeing from it. Why? Because sometimes we feel some sort of temporary satisfaction in it, and so we pursue it. But then when we pursue it, we are left depressed and anxious and fearful. The Bible is clear that the word of God will be persecuted. The enemy, the prince of death, will send his army after us to beat us down when we do what God says. When you do what God says to do, the world around you will try to persecute you. They will try to say what you're doing is wrong, evil, um, unfair. But who's the credible word that we will follow? Now, now, here's the really important question I want us to ask. What is the word of God? What is the word of God? Because we're talking about this the whole time. We're talking about the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. But if we think that following the law here in the beginning of this book is the word of God, then we're going to be a little mistaken. If we think that it's religion or morality or a way, of life, a way of life, persecution will win when we think that it's about what we do. But here's what the word of God is. The word of God is a person. Let me explain that. Because often we think that the word of God is a list of do's and don'ts. We think it's religion. We think it's morality. But the Bible says that the word of God is a person. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, not anything was made that was made. And if we jump to verse 14, here's what it says. And the word became flesh. What became flesh? The word. What became flesh? The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, I feel like sometimes I need to teach you when to clap. I need to teach you when to cheer. But I'm going to say something, and then I'm going to say something, and then you're going to do that. Because this is why we gather here today. It's the only reason why we gather here today. Because Paul's saying to the Thessalonians, you have received the word of God. What is the word that they have received? It's Jesus. Jesus will transform your life. Jesus is Lord and Savior. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is proclaimed and heard. Jesus is at work, and you were called by Jesus because Jesus died for you, and he rose again, and he's coming back. And that's why we celebrate, and that's why we cheer. It's Jesus. And when Jesus comes into our hearts and into our minds and into our lives, it transforms us to live the way he says to live. 
So I'm not saying we don't listen to how he says to live. I'm saying it comes first is relationship, is belief, is trust in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And in a moment, we are gonna celebrate people that God has called, wooed, invited into relationship with himself through the sacrament of baptism. You know what baptism is? I'm gonna invite the band to come on up. Baptism is a beautiful outward expression of an inward faith. There's water here. And there's a makeshift tub because the tub that we had uh, had a hole in it. Um, so uh, we had someone that, that donated some money so that we could buy a new baptismal, but right now we've got a food trough. Um, but we could do this anywhere. We could do this in a pool. We could do this at the beach. Um, but what it is is an opportunity to hear people's testimony of how Jesus has transformed their life. And then when they go, if you want to stay with me, I know there's a lot of people getting up on stage. We have an awesome band. Um, but when they go down into the water, what that represents is being buried with Christ. And so they are taking their old life and they're getting put under the water as if they were buried with Christ. And when they raise up, they are raising up into the newness of life that Jesus has already secured for them in his life, death, and resurrection. And so when they come up, we celebrate because that is the moment that we remember our own salvation, that God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so this is what the sacrament of baptism is, that we celebrate with our brothers and our sisters about how God has transformed their life. This isn't just a one-time decision that has been made. This has been something that the Bible says God has orchestrated from the beginning of time, that he knew them in their mother's wombs, and that he called them into relationship with himself. And so we're going to watch some video testimonies. And these video testimonies are their story. It's just a part of their story. But I'd encourage you, as you get to know them, to ask them more about their story. And I know that there are some that are here today that have never been baptized as a believer. And I want to encourage you to come talk to us after the service because we would love to walk with you in the journey of following after Christ. In fact, this is actually one of the first acts of obedience that Scripture calls us to when we profess faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The Bible often says, believe and be baptized. We don't add baptism to salvation. Baptism doesn't save us, but it is our first step in obedience to our belief. So would you join me as we watch the beautiful testimonies of these people? <laughs> 